Warsaw Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back inside the Wrestling Warzone, a Monday Wars podcast retrospective. I'm JT, and joining me as Eva is my podcast partner, Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. And the, the rolls of summer, longest day of the year when we're recording this. So. Yes. Hot summer nights. <laughs> <laughs> cold, cold Jack hot yeah. nights. Yeah. Yeah, now it's good to be back inside the war zone, and we are, yeah, making our way through the fall here. Uh, by the way, if things feel a little bit different, I know it can be tricky suddenly being with like a championship level coach on the podcast. So, <laughs> you know, I, oh, so if you're God. a little nervous, suddenly I get yeah. it, but it's All okay. Right. I'm still just me, I'm still just a normal guy, even though I have notched a 10 U softball championship. I don't even understand how you were in the playoffs if you finished last Every, in the regular season. All five teams made it. That's garbage. Terrible. That's how it works. Sorry. Got hot. Knocked off uh, all, all the three teams we did not beat in the season we beat. So Yeah. Definitely should have only been four teams at most. Like, well, listen to this. So the setup was even weirder. Like, so we played – so the top seed got a bye to the second round, which right. I guess in theory would make sense. Yep. As the fifth seed, we played the second. I believe, or third. It was either second or third. It was unclear. And then the fourth team played the other second or third. But the winner of the, let's say they were second, whatever it was, second and four, had to automatically get a bye to the final. And then the top team had to play the winner of our game, which was like not the last two teams. So I don't know if it was an available. It was all screwed up. Because I thought originally like, we were going to play the fourth team as like a play-in kind of game. And then they would do like a standard top four. Yeah. But it didn't seem that way. So then the the fourth place team won one game and was automatically in the finals where we, we had to win two. So yeah. it was weird. It was a weird structure. I don't know how they yeah. did. I'm, I'm picturing a one-man gang in the ring at WrestleMania <laughs> 4 along with Slick receiving his bye. That's what it was like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, we beat the, the we beat the undefeated team uh, in round two, so that was that was a big win. Nice. Yeah. Took home the gold, so my stock's rising in this league. So, <laughs> how many assistant coaches did you have? We had three, um, but one was kind of there half the time. So it yeah. was really me and this other dad were like really the two main. On the uh, on the base pass, are mm-hmm. you third base, first base, or you dugout man? I was when third. y'all were hitting okay. third base all the way. And it was, I, I will say this, me and the guy, the other dad was coaching first. And we really worked hard to like make, because in this league, it's all steals. It's walks and steals, very little hits. So, and you can get up to four runs an inning. So like you really have to scrap runs and run girls and know when to steal, especially stealing home, like is a big Ooh. generator of runs. So it was a workout every game. And I feel like we got really good by the end of like knowing strategizing, like, okay, there's two outs, one strike, like be more liberal with sending them, right. Be more reserved with one out, like, and you got to coach them. And then, so in that second round game against the best team, I was so proud because all year I kept telling the girls, like when you steal third, make the turn around the base and like, because the girls, like, they're not that great, right? So the catcher's probably going to throw it away if they try and throw it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, bait them, make them throw it. So we go to the 
last inning. We needed one run to walk off. This girl <laughs> got the second, stole third. I said, take the turn. She took a big turn, and the catcher threw it by the pitcher, throwing it back, mm. three, and then she scored the walk-off run. So I was, like, so happy. Like, finally, like, someone made the turn <laughs> and fucking scored. Um, but, no, it was exciting. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I liked yeah. the third because it was definitely, again, strategy. Also, in the playoffs, your pitcher can only pitch three innings. So, and we had, like, one our best pitcher and then like three other girls that could fake it. You know what I mean? So we had yeah. to really strategize like, all right, do we pitch her the first three innings, the last three innings? Do we, you know, do the first three innings per game? Uh, yes. Three per game. And you could take them out and put them back in. So like the oh. second game, we pitched our ace the first inning. And then one of the other pitchers in the second inning against the bottom of the lineup, so then we had the ace for the third and fourth to lock it down. Like, so like, you know, it was, it was kind of cool to like, get a run some strategy and stuff in there. So it was fun. Yeah. I've uh, taken over third base duties on the softball. And it has been fun. Yeah. It's a good, it's a nice little way to stay involved in the, mm-hmm. in the game. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure though. So you make that send, you know, you can, you can I mean, with these guys, it's, I'm more worried about them blowing a leg than blowing True. the send calls. <laughs> yeah. Blowing a kneecap. So, also, I told my daughter, I was like, because she cannot slide. Because I mean, she just started playing this year, and mm-hmm. in the playoffs, like there was a couple where she was like close, and I'm like, and one of the coaches was like, you're gonna slide? And I'm like, no, I told her not to because I'm like, she's got her dance recital next weekend. We go to Disney to dance. I'm like, <laughs> I do not need to come home with her and a broken ankle and a cast and not, not be able to dance. I'm like, we'll worry about it in the fall. It's like, do not slide. I told her uh, to the playoffs. I was always a head first guy. When I played, I don't know why. It's tricky. I mean, you can really get the hang of it. I, I loved going head first. I, I just, I mean, I could slide okay from, uh, I guess, those little instructional videos. I, I don't know, the one with uh, Rick Sartcliffe or whatever, where he's picking Tom up the Amansky. dollar bill. Yeah, yeah, the Tom Amansky where he's picking up the dollar bill on the pitch and stroke or whatever. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Fred McGriff. Um, but so I, I knew, I knew like, uh, you won't. You know your butt on the left hand side and your right your uh, right kneecap to have dirt on it. Nothing else. You got that, but I don't know. I still uh, would always go head first. <laughs> Just bring it all in. I would not recommend it in rec league softball. Don't, don't I'm break definitely. Your, don't break uh, your hand. I'm, I am not sliding. Period in this yeah. league. So. No. Do not break no. your hand. I think I did it once in softball. I slid it to home because I ran. It was probably a questionable decision. Uh, it was a ground ball to the pitcher. And as the pitcher threw the first, I took off and I just got there. Um, and I remember I slid and I'm like, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to end up breaking my fucking arm sliding like an idiot. This, this dude today that we played tonight, I don't know if he uh, had a, he looked like he had a torn Achilles. Like he barely walked up to the plate and then he absolutely crushed it about 370 feet <laughs> and then didn't even bother running around the base paths. <laughs> Like freaking Kurt Gibson. Ridiculous. These guys. Yeah, I was, like, I was like, this guy can't even walk. And he just like mashed it. I was like, I mean, I, when I saw him, I was like, well, this is a big guy. But I mean, he was probably in his 40s. And I was like, hey, he's not mobile. And then the first pitch was just absolutely cranked. So I was like, well, all right. I guess he's still got enough power to do that. So, there you go. All right. Well, speaking of power, WCW's got the power right <laughs> oh, now. Man. This war. Yeah, these, we'll just preference this. I don't know about this show. Like, this, these were some weird shows to watch. We'll mm-hmm. try to dissect, but I think both shows tonight, I don't know if this was just like a general 
you know, the fall and wrestling calendars is usually kind of the suckiest time in general. It's also a time they sometimes try different stuff. Uh, I did look. There was a very competitive Monday night football game. So it's Dallas versus the Philadelphia Eagles in a very close game on this night. But I don't know. We can we will talk about it. But I thought there was a lot of odd decisions tonight. Even I mean, I you know I've got to expect that from WWF saying, but even from the WCW side, right. I thought there was some interesting decisions. Do you think they were getting like? trying some different concept stuff because they were getting confident or cocky. I think they, I think it's a combination of that. I think it's also a combination of, uh, I, I think we're starting to see the very precipice of some indicators that Bischoff is getting a little too, uh, diluted. Mm. Um, We'll get to it, but like with the NASCAR and stuff like that, like he's shown that his wrestling product can become more mainstream and can pop good ratings. I mean, we'll get to the ratings, but it's not like they were significantly worse. So even if that football game was great, which it was, it it didn't kill the wrestling ratings like you see now, like freaking hockey's beating, (laughs) destroying ratings now. Um but yeah, it, it seems like between uh, he, he start. I think I think this was kind of maybe like a Bischoff heat check episode in some ways. Which again, yeah. though, but again, like we'll talk about it. That's weird because we're contradicting ourselves. But I mean, we'll right. just see when we get to my MVP. So I mean, on on air, I loved him. So well, the other thing too that's like like I wanted to track, and I think we're nearing it. Is when does it? When does the NWO start to become a detraction from the show in that it's all the fans are waiting for? Like well, keep, and then we start to see it now. Yeah. It's starting to creep in. I don't. They keep looking to the aisle. They're they're kind of quiet unless they're out there. Like we're starting to get to that point where it's almost it's dominating the episode that way too. Yeah. So we, I mean, we can just talk about this broadly because this is the town itself. So they're mm-hmm. in Cleveland, Ohio tonight for yep. Nitro. Cleveland's a weird town, and I actually, because the crowd was so dead throughout portions of this show, I wanted to look, and I was like, you know, I never really associate Cleveland with WCW any, so I wanted to see, and they've had some house shows there, they were in Cleveland, same arena for the April 1st Nitro, Mm -hmm. April 1st 96 Nitro, that was a bad show, like, I think I gave it like four and a half. You were right around there, like bad nitro. Right. Um, that was right when Hogan was at his worst too. Like even after uncensored, where he's still doing the same crap. So they're there for that nitro. They're there for this nitro. But then you look and they have a, a couple more house shows, I believe. And then they're not here for like a taping or anything until 1998. And the wow. thunder. Interesting. So they really kind of, you know, for what you think of as a pretty big town, and you know, not even a town that's. I mean, I would associate Cleveland as a potential big town for a company like WCW. Oh, right. my mistake. They're not even there for any house shows. Yeah. So from April, uh, from this September 30th, 1996, the next time they're in Cleveland. Period. Is May 21st, 1998, Thunder, um, which is a kind of a random Thunder. 
Then they have a house show in early 1999. Then they do come back for two nitros, one in uh, June of 1999, one in July of 2000. Uh, if we get to it, but yeah, I mean this this feels like a definite like WCW type town, right? Um, you know, there's like the Richfield, Cleveland thing. So like, one thing that's interesting too that I also wanted to see is like because Hulk Hogan is on this show, but I I don't know. I mean, I get again, this is one of those things. Like, was he at that Marriott in Cleveland, or did right. they film this elsewhere? Um. But uh, if you look at Hogan on Cage Match and you actually type in Cleveland, period, he only has four matches in Cleveland oh, wow. proper. Uh, one in 1984 versus Orndorff, two in 1985, one versus Brutus and one versus Big John Studd, and then that match, him and the Booty Man versus Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, so that's kind of crazy. Like, I mean, four matches total – Richfield again is where they mainly were, so he does have 23 there, so you can see that. But um, it's an interesting town. I mean, you know, so I I, I think that plays into it too. I I just think this is a weird show. I just think it's a weird. Yeah, show. but beyond that, I do I do think it's going to become a trend where the fans are conditioned to just keep looking and waiting for the NWO. Maybe I mean, you think about this show, like who did they actually get? an appearance by of the top right eight WCW NWO stars Luger's the only one right that because you get I mean they get no Hogan on screen they get no Macho on screen Mm -hmm. they get no Sting on screen or on you know like live in the building they get no outsiders so that's Five there, they get no flair, uh, and I'd put all them ahead of Luger as much as I like Luger. So yeah, Luger, would you argue he's probably number seven on the totem pole? Or would you say Giant, who also was not on mm. screen? I think Luger above Giant. Right yeah, now. so I'd put Giant at eight. So that's uh, seven of your top eight were mm-hmm. never appeared right in the building. For this Nitro. I mean, that's something we talked about with the Raws. Um, I mean, we'll get to the Raws, too. Like, they only had one of their... uh, They probably had, I mean, including... Where you include Vader. And I guess Austin's rising. But, you know, they didn't have Taker uh, appear at this show. So, so just a weird... I, I I think that's a problem. I mean, I think the NWO is becoming suffocating. This was also a very hill... Um, heel favorable crowd. Like when we get to the Jericho match, they're mm-hmm. they're they're very uh, favorable for Arn versus Jericho. Um, so a lot going on. It was it was very tough to keep track of and to note. And right, my thoughts are not very clear. I I'm, I'm the way we do this podcast where I watch this stuff. I'm vaguely familiar with watched you know way back when. Uh, and then stop is interesting, but can be frustrating because like, I don't know how many of these kind of what I call straight threads will continue or how many of these will just end up being like an aberration on this right. nitro. So, all right, well, let's find out. 
we are in the CC CSU Convocation Center in Cleveland, Ohio, on the September 30th, 1996. We get our opening animation. Still got Hogan, right? Yeah, he's still in there. I, I, I'm just going to say right now, I think he'll be in there till at least mid-97, but we'll keep track of it every time. Yeah, I would agree. Tony and Larry welcome us into Cleveland. They remind us of the events that went down last week. He says we'll hear an official response from Eric Bischoff about the attack, the NWO takeover of Nitro. We see the debut of the NWO race car. Tony and Larry don't believe Kyle Petty would link with them. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very confident. Uh, we cut to Bischoff at the announce table and says it's not about him. It's about the history of WCW, what it represents with roots back to 1905 and legends as champions. The legacy may not mean anything to the NWO, but it means a lot to other people. And this is going to stop right now. WCW won't tolerate it at any level from corporate on down. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. The NWO are dirtbags from bottom to top. And he may have made mistakes and he admits it. His uh, relationship with WCW may only go six years, but the biggest mistake was bringing Hulk Hogan there. And if thugs want to stop WCW, they've worked too hard and long, and now it stops. No more. Uh, this is a pretty good job by Bischoff. Uh, there's loud NWO chants echoing in the crowd. Yeah. And Larry, of course, the eternal critic, says, I want to know how he plans to stop it. <laughs> he wants answers right away uh, from Eric. But I thought it was like a good state of the union from Eric because as we've talked about and as we see – like how, how many of these things are seeds? Like right, when did they know? I think by now they know. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's some of these seeds are really well done the way they do it. Yeah. Uh, and this was another good one where he's kind of out there, he's being stern, but he's not really, it's kind of empty, right? He's not really levying any specific kind of threats or warning. He's just like, Hey, you got to stop this. And this was a mistake. And so again, it's almost like, is it empty words? And Larry kind of almost hints at it, but doesn't, you know, yeah, I, I really like this. I I thought uh, Eric to me, I've always liked as once he goes full slimy yes. NWO. But oh, yeah. I've I've actually been surprised at the nuance that he that he's shown on my rewatch leading up to that. Right. Uh, I don't recall that there was this much kind of uh, I guess hints or you know stray crumbs to uh, get to right. that point. Yeah, I, I thought he did a good job. Like I like that he traces the roots back to 1905. Mm-hmm. I like that he went through the list of like you know Dusty Rhodes, uh, Luthez, like all the legends. So that gives a lot of gravity to everything. Yep. Call, call six 180 pound wimp, <laughs> which was funny. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean what he's saying is like, well, it's going to stop now and ground root, but there's really no plan there like actual plan it's just words that he's right. spewing uh and the other thing is like between that and him on commentary last week like they've done a good job of you know it's it's probably the best stuff we've seen even like the very early nick patrick stuff was good mm-hmm. i mean it's blatantly obvious now where patrick's going um but uh, the stuff with Eric, I've actually enjoyed more. I think it's been more subtle and been more effective to me. And I, I thought this was a really good, like, state of the address. And actually, I mean, I feel like in some ways he came more off more authentic than, like, when Vince has done this on Raw, actually. Um, both have kind of gave gravity to the situation, but I, I like the way this was handled. So this was a, a real plus for the show for me. No, I agree. And and he has been really good, especially when you know what's coming for this one. Like, mm-hmm. even if you didn't at the time, you look back, you're like, oh, like, 
man, all those little seeds planted along the way. How do they get in the building? How do they do this? How do they do that? Right? It's like, right. You know, where Bischoff go? Why isn't he here tonight? And they they would hint at it at time to time, but uh, it really crystallizes as we move along. So, yeah. All right, let's get to our opening match that features Public Enemy <laughs> taking on El Tectico and Juventud Guerrera. El Tectico is very generic luchador. He's got simple red tights and a mask. <laughs> Uh, Public Enemy are our new champions. They're coming out with the belts, riding their hot streak. They're toting their table. Tony tells us Public Enemy will be defending against the Outsiders of Halloween Havoc. So kind of an interesting match there. Larry wanted to see Halloween Heat at Havoc. He's not very confident that Public Enemy could beat the Outsiders. Tony says we have footage from the past weekend. WCW taking matters to their own hands. Hoovy and Rocco start off. Hoovy goes to the air with a springboard head scissors. Rock bails out. Hoovy follows and Rock shoves him to the railing. Tectico gets the tag, but eats a boot. Champions work him over with some double team. Hoovy's right back in. We get a brawl with all four guys. Grunge backdrops Hoovy to the floor. They turn on, they turn around Tectico's mask and finish him with a springboard Tower of Doom from Rocco. And then Rock puts Tectico through the table after the bell. Uh, just a squash by our tag champions. I think it's a waste of Hoovy. I don't know who Tectico is. <laughs> I thought it was going to be an angle. They was going to unmask and be someone. Uh, Public Enemy is hot. It's a big match for them at Halloween Havoc. I just went one star on this. It was just a squash. And I really was expecting something else. Usually when you get a guy like El Tectico in red pajamas, it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, someone under there. Uh, yeah, we'll see it with El Caliente the next year. Right. Tecnico is uh, Kidman. Oh, okay. I mean, we've seen him. Right. It's Kidman. So I, I don't know. Right. I why not just have him why. be Kidman? I don't know. It's some weird thing. I did read, I don't know, maybe uh, Pete L for some of our correspondence can correct but it seemed like at this point psychosis had maybe visa issues right so maybe they just wanted to have another luchador for the team quote-unquote but yeah just put kidman out there especially for something like this which is a squash right who cares i i agree that uh i didn't think this suited either or really all four of these guys well um public enemy is kind of a uh, little bit of a clash with them. I mean, for what they did, it was okay, but it was only two minutes, mm-hmm. so it was very quick. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'll say I don't think Hoovy's really found his groove yet. I, I don't think like he hasn't been bad, but as an active viewer, like definitely now rewatching, I think for sure behind. I mean, kind of the people you'd put him lumping with, he's been, to me, the one that's lacked uh, right. the most. Like, I mean, I would put somebody like Chavo ahead of him at this point. So. Yeah, for sure right now. There you yeah. go. Yeah. One star for me, too. I didn't mention it earlier. All right, we got Jim Duggan. He's hyping the WCW Where the Big Boys Play shirt. It's 1995 <laughs> plus 595 shipping yeah. and handling. So you can get Rough and that. tough. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mike today terrible, been, terrible shirt, by the way. Of Fugly, yep. awful shirt. Like, it, you know, I mean, you know, I like WCW, but come on. Like, if you're buying that over, uh, over, uh, the, denim the NWO shirt, well, the NWO shirt, yeah. it's like, what are you doing with yourself? Yeah. Uh, today is with Benoit, Mongo, and Deborah. <laughs> today says Mongo isn't scheduled to wrestle tonight. Mongo says he's here to protect against Hogan and his band of goons. No more divide and conquer with the horsemen. Deborah talks about Mongo's experience with teamwork. Benoit talks to Brick Steiner, but promises to take him down tonight and says the horsemen are elite. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, today in the back, we, we've mentioned it on the last couple of shows since fall brawl, but Gene's gone. 
Uh, somebody mentioned it, but I also looked it up. So Gene was actually at a contract dispute at mm-hmm. this time. It, well, his contract had expired. He was in heavy negotiations in typical Gene fashion. Uh, possibility would have went back to the WWL, which that would have been interesting. I don't know how Gene would have played in the Attitude Era, but mm. um, he'll, he'll be gone from us for a couple months here. So it, it looks like... Uh, don't know exactly when he'll show back up, but I'm guessing around World War III time. Right. And I apologize. I know one of our listeners did update us on the G yeah. stuff, and I could not find it, and I, I didn't write the name down, so I apologize. Yeah. But thank if you, you. If you're the person that spoke up, uh, re-speak when we drop this, and we'll yeah. give you some kudos on the next one. Uh, as far as the promo itself, I thought it was good. I, I mean, I like... You know, I like Mongo as the high man of the horseman. He's, yes. he's kind of like the only one that still gives a crap about it, it feels like. But, right, I mean, right. God bless him. Um, he And Deborah, you know, we talked about it. Deborah's starting to show more confidence in her promo uh-huh. ability. Being in front of the camera, she's being more confident. You know, so her saying that Mongo won that ring by being a team player. I mean, that was a fine line. I mean, nothing here was extraordinary, but I thought this did a good job of uh, – Setting up the main event later. All right, we get in a New World Order paid advertisement with Hulk Hogan saying, not anymore, in the intro, because <laughs> he had us no longer paid by them, thanks to their uh, fall brawl yeah. win, which uh, I always laugh when they, when they have that. Not anymore. Yeah, we hear that a lot here. <laughs> First, I couldn't tell if it was Hogan or Nash. It took a couple of them. Yeah, it's Hogan. Uh, yeah. All right, so we're in a hotel room. And uh, Nick Hogan, yeah. Nick Hogan is hanging in with the guys. Hogan said he made a deal with his mom. He could stay up till 10 p.m. so he could see the NWO. Yeah. Ted DiBiase says WCW is paying the bill for their ads now. Uh, Scott Hall welcomes the WCW team back from Japan. They talk up fake sting and they say he's the best imposter of wrestling, which is pretty funny. Dig there. Uh, Nash makes a Ross Pro and Bill Marriott joke out of nowhere. Six then calls for some room service as a very buzz Nash wants another Southern comfort and Coke. And he says, Deborah really wants them. Uh, Hall says he's digging this Marriott Cleveland. I like this one. I thought it was a fun party scene. Obviously we'll be back here quite a bit tonight. Uh, I thought these guys were locked in. You could tell that it's having like a fucking blast and Nash was absolutely buzzed uh, through this oh, whole yeah. thing. Uh, big uh, time. But I thought that this was fun. It shows that like they know they're kicking ass. They know they, they got WCW by the balls and they're just living it up. Bill Marriott still alive. You should have gave me, uh, you know, three to one odds, and I'd have bet he <laughs> croaked a long time ago. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's only ninety. Like, that's kind of shocking. Like, when right. did he? I mean, you know, like this is thirty years old, so he was sixty years old. I mean, not, not probably still working. I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, this is fun. Like, Nasty Nick is <laughs> humorous in retrospect. I uh, did, like, the uh, Outsiders welcoming WCW back from Japan. Sting beating his chest. Uh, Giant wanted a baked potato, <laughs> which uh, was interesting. And then uh, them insinuating that Deborah's going out with Nash. That, mm. was, that was weird. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was just, like, a one-off or... If this was a uh, part of Nash's, you know, having Chinese food that he right. says later on. <laughs> so, uh, just drunk and running his mouth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this was fun. He's probably trying to just fuck with Mongo, honestly. <laughs> Try and get his head. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
All right, back to the ring we go is Das Wunderkind. Alex Wright takes on the Iceman Dean Malenko. Uh, Malenko storms out. He's got Rey Mysterio's mask in his hands. Larry says he doesn't trust women. If Deborah is, is asked, is Deborah dating Nash? And Tony says, I don't trust women either. Yeah, yeah a lot of issues here at the table. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they talk about the importance of masks. Tony tells us Dean attacked Ray this weekend and stole it, and they'll fight at Halloween Havoc. Good spot here for Wright to try and show out. Dean takes Alex uh, to the mat, works on works on the arm off the bell. Wright goes back and forth with him. We get some early grinding. Wright controls the arm and is uh, pretty even out of the gate here. Grabs a reverse chin lock as Larry thinks Malenko is too methodical and rigid. He needs to think less in the ring. Malenko breaks to hold with a tight back suplex, controls to the break. We come back and Wright's making his comeback, but Dean shoves him to the floor, drives him to the railing, blocks a sunset flip back inside and twists into a leg lace ankle lock. Larry says Ray's mask looks better on the pole than on Ray. And Tony <laughs> wonders where the lone wolf sting is. He keeps calling him the lone wolf now, mm-hmm. which is just not, he's trying to make it work. It's, it's like fetch. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, he hasn't been seen since he walked down on Luger at fall brawl. Larry says there's a bad time for Sting to have a temper tantrum and they need him. Wright makes his comeback. I'm sure I should say uh, Sting was on that Nitro, but since then. Wright makes the comeback, starts to run through Malenko with some nice uppercuts and a spin wheel kick. Dean dodges a charge, but then whiffs on a high cross body. And Wright cradles for the upset win and a nice little finish. Uh, interesting choice. Again, another upset of someone climbing into a push. Like, I like Alex Wright a lot. He looked good here. Uh, I'm surprised they had Malenko lose with yeah. what they got going on. It felt we've seen this a few times on Nitro where they try and do the anything can happen vibe. Yep. Uh, but Dean was crisp. It was a fun match with some good threading into the the upset finish. Again, I'm not going to complain too much because I like Wright and I actually think he could be used more. But uh, again, questionable. So I went two and three quarters in the match itself. Yeah, three stars for me. I really like the match. I do question the finish. Uh, this is one of the items I had earmarked that I want to see uh, if there is any follow-up on mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I I thought the finish was curious uh, when it happened. I mean, I do like right too, but, you know, we'll see if anything happens later on. Uh, in the subsequent weeks but as far as the match itself yeah i mean mean, first off i think stealing ray's mask is a good it's a good thing of like uh you know like giving malenko a little bit of personality i mean Mm -hmm. you know it's pretty generic but it's 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 new like i can't remember like masks being stolen um you know i mean it's equivalent to stealing tatanka's feathers or whatever but uh but it's it's a new kind of wrinkle to that. But as far as the work itself, so good mat work to start. A really cool float over by Dean into a snapmare that uh, Alex Wright reverses. Uh, then he hits a huge back suplex for a two count. And, um, you know, like, I, unfortunately, like, we learned that Dean kind of dominated the break. So we missed, I guess, most of the heat segment, which kind of stinks. But when we come back, we get some good uh, back and forth, too, where uh, – Alex at one point goes for the abdominal stretch and he gets slung to the outside and then gets sent to the railing. He tries to sunset flip back in, but gets punched. Um, thought Dean Malenko's strikes actually looked good tonight. Like not something you typically equate with Malenko, but he had strong strikes tonight. Uh, and then uh, when Wright started reversing that and throwing more European uppercuts, it was a good contrast between the right. punches and the uppercuts uh, back heel kick from right looked good. Misses a charge in the corner. Dean misses his top rope splash. Um, and then you get the big upsets. Uh, the, the, another thing on just uh, cosmetically, this match was really good. 
But uh, on the finish, like Malenko's arms was clearly not down on the. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's essentially like a La Mahistral kind of cradle type move. But uh, yeah, really fun match. Three stars for me. Nitro's done good. That's one positive they've had. Is the first hour of Nitro's had two good matches the last two weeks between Enos and Jericho, and now this match. They've done a good job of giving two cruiserweight slash junior heavyweight, you know, mid-card matches mm-hmm. uh, that have been very entertaining. So that, you know, luckily, we had not seen Duggan entering. Like, if all he's doing is shilling that crappy T-shirt, that's right. win for us. Where we'll take not, it. Yep. Stick him with Saturday night. Yeah, he's not firing up the tape or and all that junk that really can bog down these first hours. So yep. they've done good with that. So three stars. Good match. We get clips from WCW Saturday night where Miss Elizabeth is watching Randy Savage's match very pensively. Uh, Savage and beat the shit out of Nick Patrick after the match. Tanae's in the aisle. He brings out Randy Savage, or at least he attempts to, and Savage no-shows. So it's all silent and no one to talk to Mike. We then get a Halloween Havoc ad with Savage plugging the Slim Jim giveaway contest to win a monster truck and other cool prizes. And we kind of get like a mini movie where Flair and some women come in and he yeah. wants a shot to win and Savage says no. It feels like it's like supposed to be like a nightmare. I don't know. It's odd. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, any comments on these three little segments here? No. Well, so the uh, the uh, again showing WCW Saturday Night I think is good to show that important stuff is happening on that mm-hmm. show. Um, Nick Patrick getting sock got a really good pop. Uh, Tony is all for it on commentary, but Larry like condones it, so they're still split there. Right. Uh, Savage no showing is what I mean. You know that was clearly going to be an advancement for what was going to play into later in the show. Uh, the the I, I guess it was a it was like a half promo for Halloween Havoc, half of uh sweepstakes ad for Slim mm-hmm. Jim. Very odd. Very odd. I, I guess they probably wanted Flair in the endorsement as well, right. but it was like, you know, guys, their their issue was a few months ago. Like we're we're beyond that. So I, I thought that was an odd choice to see Flair come in with two random women too. Like I don't know why it couldn't have been Liz and Woman really. Right. Um, yeah. I don't or Deborah. Even you could do Deborah and Woman if you right. don't want to have Elizabeth there. So that, that was kind of weird. Right? Yeah. Uh, Macho's uh, Halloween uh, outfit looks really cool. I mean, it wouldn't shock art. me too if you know you mentioned him and Flair. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they filmed this thing like months ago. You know, oh I, yeah, it's like yeah. canned it for sure. Um, all right, we go right back to the ring for our next match. Is Marty Slees' favorite wrestler Jim Powers <laughs> is now to take on Eddie? I mean, uh, Chavo Guerrero, or no, Eddie. Eddie. Uh, Eddie Guerrero. Eddie. He's uh, back. Powers is out with Teddy Long. Larry thinks Savage didn't show up because he's tired of getting jumped by the NWO and having no help. The street team is working the crowd again as Eddie chugs out, prepping for his match with DDP at Halloween Havoc. We do, once again, see Olympian Matt Gaffari in the crowd. Uh, Larry says Matt keeps bugging him for tips. Now I'm told that this is not the Olympian that Joey Styles is referencing. Uh, one of our buddies over at Parsing Only said it was uh, Chip Minton was the Olympian that was being referenced. So multiple Olympians here in WCW. <laughs> I will say this. Chip Minton may have been an Olympian, but I'm confident Styles is talking about Gafari because if you go listen to that ECW, it sounds like he says Gafari. I just didn't know who it was when he said it. So, mm. uh, But Minton also the Olympian. Patrick is refing this match with a neck brace on, which just looks 
fucking absurd. Uh, <laughs> Powers uses some early power strikes until Eddie mows her down with a dropkick and a slingshot senton. Larry talks about how nuts it is we're trusting this insane Randy Savage to defend WCW and back up Bischoff, just a guy with no control. Tony says there's others too, Flair, Public Enemy, and beyond defending WCW and their titles. Powers comes back and uses a heavy sledge blow before he goes to a chin lock. We get a lot of focus on the street team as we push through the match, just Powers picking apart Eddie with simple strikes. Gets a nice suplex for two, goes back to the chin lock. We get a smattering of boos and a loud NWO chant. Again, this match is just here for the NWO crew to march around. Tony wonders where the battle bull ring is. Eddie's challenging for it, but we never get to see it. We get back to the chin lock for a third time as Larry's talking shit on Teddy Long. Powers unloads some nice punches as he's just dominated the match. Eddie gets a kick in the back suplex. He goes up top, but Powers blocks him and hits a great superplex for two. Powers keeps bringing the heat, but Eddie slips free, rolls into a bridging German, and picks up the win. Uh, Powers looks like he kicked out, but Patrick called for the bell, and Teddy and the Powers, as usual, argue mm-hmm. with Patrick. And Eddie just stands there until Nick raises his hand. Uh, fine, I guess. Again, it was odd to see Powers dominate Guerrero, who's got big stuff going on. And more just strange booking for guys that are in prominent Halloween Havoc matches. Like, I'm fine if they want to keep doing this angle with Powers and Teddy and the ref, but, like, just put someone else. I mean, uh, Powers, yeah, and Teddy. Not use Eddie in this. Like, use use someone else. Uh, the Patrick stuff's good, but, again, shaky finishes keep marring these matches because they're trying to do some convoluted stuff, and it's not clicking, and it's, like, awkward. Uh, I also found the match a little boring in the middle because they're just trying to slow it down for the, the street team. So I went two and a half stars. Uh, it was fine. But again, it was just kind of there as a backdrop for the NWO people to walk around the crowd. Yeah, I'm a, a, a little bit lower. Two stars for me. Um, I thought Eddie, you know, we hadn't seen him in a couple weeks. And he looked okay. Right. I mean, he looked good. But uh, Powers on top was very boring. Um you know, just a lot of chin locks, not much going on. It is kind of a face versus face match, which I guess is difficult. But like when uh, Powers is doing his power moves, no pun intended, like the shoulder block and the uh, punches, belly to belly suplex, he looked good. But on top, uh, it, again, it was kind of a backdrop for the NWO propaganda team, but mm-hmm. it, it just it was it was slow for sure. Uh, they do announce Eddie versus Dallas at Halloween Havoc, so that's another match for that. Uh, Eddie starts making his uh, comebacks with some strikes, but gets caught going to the top rope, second rope, superplex. Looked pretty good. Um, Nick Patrick, when he goes down and counts one time on the small package, he starts uh, touching his neck and his facial expressions. I, I've, I found it humorous. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the finish. So Eddie gets a reverse and a German suplex. His arms are down, like his shoulders are down. Um, powers that actually look like kicked out or his shoulders are up. But Patrick announces Eddie as the winner. Teddy can't believe it. Uh, after the match, Teddy tells Nick he needs to go back to referee school and that he'll get the blue shirt on. So. They're really setting mm-hmm. up Teddy and Patrick having big, big issues with each other. Right. Um, which I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a feud I'm clamoring for. It's been entertaining enough, but. Well, it's not of, part of the NWO thing, really. Like, no. it's like Patrick, he was doing this before all that cropped up. So it's it's odd. Yeah, it kind of goes to, and to me, Lothario, Cornette territory. Right. right. So, two stars. 
All right, we get another NWO paid advertisement. We're still partying at the Marriott. The Nasty Boys arrived to celebrate, and they finally wanted to talk business. Hogan promised them they'd talk business. And Hall thanks them. He says, thank you for doing business, and uh, says he wants to see what they got. Six brings in room service. Nobs is ready to party. wants to eat some food. <laughs> Hall keeps the shit talking the Nasties, but they kind of laugh it off. Like, he's just being really, like, condescending to them. Uh, Sag says he loves these guys. WCW never does anything for them. Then, in one of the weirdest <laughs> moments of all time, uh, and this is another one that my buddy Jim and I would always read, like mock and like do. Nash puts glasses on, stands in front of the nasties, and makes this weird face. It goes, for the life of me, I don't know what he's doing. I don't get it. I don't know what the reference is. But we would always mock it once we after this aired originally. We would always make the noise and do that for Nash. But and then he quotes Werewolves of London because Nick Hogan has a werewolf mask. Uh, Sags then gets on the table and does the old Ace Ventura like talking with his ass and says I'm doing an Eric Bischoff impression. Just complete fucking madness in this hotel right now. Um, like I don't even know how to like, where to start with this. No, yeah. What was Nash doing? Do you have any idea? I don't know. <laughs> it, it's burned in my skull. It's like the face <laughs> and the noise is seared into my mind forever. I don't get it. What's he doing? It makes no sense. <laughs> kind of ironic that Sags is the one talking with his ass, too, based on a certain knob. Yeah, that kind of yeah. has been uh, making the rounds. Um, yeah, Knob yeah. yeah, uh, uh, saying he's here to party is like the most like shoot comment you ever <laughs> get. <laughs> you know, he was between the fried food and the booze. Like he actually <laughs> says he wants fried food when the room service comes in. Um, oh yeah, he's ready to go. Yeah, uh, I believe Nash at one point also says, "Hey, you redneck, you probably like that NASCAR at one point too, which I enjoyed." Uh, I mean, this is just. I mean, these are like the boys clowning around. Like, this is all this was. This is like, you know, I mean, is it gratuitous? Yes. But is it funny? Yeah. I thought it funny. I thought it endearing. Yeah. I mean, so. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if he, uh, see, I wonder because it, you know, because it's right after Hall says the I love you long time, like the, uh, the line from, what is that, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Right. Uh, I wonder if he's doing the dun 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 on the, these boots are made for walking. Oh, like maybe. The beat that starts that song. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'll never understand dun, it. Dun 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 dun. You got something. Yeah, maybe. But it's pretty funny. Was also the theme song for Growing Up Gotti on A and E. And I only know that because when I was working with A and E, that was one of the shows I had on. They aired all the fucking time. Nice. Yeah, the face he does too. Like he's got this big smile. It must have been like an inside joke. It had to be. Yeah, he's like smiling really funny at them with the glasses on. I I don't know. Uh, Uh, All I know is it's gonna be years and years of of laughs (laughs) thinking about it. 
Love it. Uh, all right. Uh, WCW Saturday night this weekend. We get the Rock and Roll Express versus Chris Benoit, Mongo, uh, McMichael, Harlem Heat versus Public Enemy, Jim Powers versus Disco Inferno, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero also in action. Yeah. Not, not the best. Hey. No. No. Uh, all right. We roll on with Mike Tenay's with Arn Anderson, Woman, and Miss Elizabeth. Arn says after War Games, they all sat down and they agreed. Liz's weak moment was just a weak moment. They let her off the hook and decided to pull together stronger. The horsemen went to Japan to fight for their lives, and they find out Liz is flying <laughs> around on her own. Yeah. They have to win or lose as a cohesive unit. Liz and woman are horsemen. There's no gray. Woman says business is business and grills her about what she's doing. Very aggressive. Uh, Liz says it's complicated. She's flustered. Arn says to get a big match with Luger at Havoc, and Liz is either all in or she's all out, and she needs to think about it. I feel like this is a bit much for poor Liz. Like, is she really that <laughs> integral of a part of this team? Or is she just there for, like, Savage Flair to bait Savage with? You know what I mean? Like, they're acting like she's a make-or-break piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I, I mean, Arn does good with, like, gravity. Uh, but this is one where it feels like it's like, all right, dude, just calm down. Like, he's literally looks like he's about to have a brain aneurysm, like, trying to piece this together. Uh, saying that she, you know, sounds like you still have feelings or whatever, but I mean, yeah, I guess we'll see where it goes. This is another one I wanted to put a pin on and see, like, in the weeks going forward. Right. All right, back to the ring with uh, oh. Chad's favorite wrestler. Someday we're going to get your favorite wrestlers and Marty's favorite wrestler, but not right now. But we have Hugh Morris coming out to take on uh, Brad Armstrong. Yeah. Larry wonders if Liz is out of alimony, and that's why she's going back. It <laughs> says, Arn is right. They have to be united. Tony thinks Liz is torn. Larry says, yeah, well, women are fickle. Yeah. Uh, rematch from two weeks ago. Neither guy had much of a role, had much of a story. Tony says, it really looks like the Nasties have officially turned their backs. Larry wonders if it's official with them. We get into hour two, where we start a little slow with some feeling out. We get the hour two pyro and transition to Bischoff, Bobby, and Tanae as Armstrong runs Hugh to the floor. Bischoff wants answers on Savage right away, like now. He disagrees with Tony. He says he thinks the Nasties are being suckered by a guy they think is their friend, and they're dumber than they look for taking the bait. Morris cranks a chin lock, but this match has no chance. The commentary is all about the NWO. Bobby agrees that the Nasties are being used. B.A. gets it into Gary, and Bischoff talks about how the NWO will always attack when no one's around, when WCW's undermanned. Tonight, WCW's all here, and they're eating pizza and drinking cheap champagne instead of trying to come out and attack them. Morris hits that no le- two no-laughing matters and picks up the win. Uh, nothing doing here until the pretty cool finish. It was kind of a boring grind, uh, but I liked Morris hitting the two sprint moonsaults. Just n- neither of these guys are going anywhere. Just a backdrop for the announcers to catch up. On what's going on. So I went, I went a star and a half. It served its purpose to allow mm. us to transition to the new team. Yeah, I only went three-fourths of a star. I got I got frustrated at this. And this is why, like, I'm weary of the Alex Wright upset earlier. Because, you know, Al Armstrong got the upset a couple of weeks ago. But it just, it just meant nothing. Because Morris definitively beats him here. Yep. Uh, no one from the Dungeon of Dooms even out there with him. I feel like no like, one's ever with him. He's like always on his own. Like Jimmy, not even Jimmy. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> I did like uh, Eric saying, you know, like talking about the Nasty Boys. Like if they really think Hogan's truly their buddy, they're dumber than they look. Uh, which uh, Bobby was like, that's impossible. Um, again, though, that's good because like if Eric's in the know, like he knows like what's going to happen with them. So. 
I, I like the way that was phrased. Uh, yeah, match was nothing. Like the backslide that pinned uh, Morris in the first match. They try to use that, but it only gets two this time. And then the two laughing matters did look good. But uh, besides that, nothing to the match at all. Three-fourths of a star. Dumb booking. I mean, I, I thought yeah. it was dumb. I thought it was dumb just to have it. You know, Arm, Armstrong's win now means nothing except like, oh, you know, an upset could happen, which is good. But not just, you know, having upsets just to have upsets. And then two right. weeks later, giving the win back to somebody that's also not really going anywhere is not very productive. All right. Arn and woman are still arguing with Liz backstage. Arn tells her to get her heart out of this. And <laughs> woman really digs in. Just berating yeah. Liz. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is all really harsh on her. Uh, Bischoff's frustrated. He says he's going to go. He's got things to figure out. And he leaves it to today to lead. Or he says, or Tony, if you want to come back, whatever, I don't give a shit. Basically he's out of here. Uh, so we don't know if he's going to the hotel or what he's doing. So a lot of mystery. Yeah, he says like he's going to get the bottom of it, but I don't know. I mean, we don't see him the rest of the show, so there's that. Uh, yeah, Orange telling Liz to put your heart out of it and put your head in it. And that was amusing. But, yeah, it's still a, definitely a lot of interrogation of mm-hmm. what's been going on. So. All right, back to the ring we go, and out comes Arn. He's got a big match with Chris Jericho here. It's been great since his arrival. We've talked about mm-hmm. it really shown uh bobby and mike talk up the potential for jericho and a big match for him arn comes out with woman we get no liz today talks up what a chance this is for jericho to make a statement tony shows up and he says he supports eric 100 percent. if he wants to go to the hotel go arn outworks jericho early both on the mat and then working his arm goes to the legs we bounce back and forth lots of nwo talk dominating this arn works the arm jericho wriggles free grabs the arm now as well we see Liz watching the monitor by the entranceway. She looks confused. Tanae confirms it. Jericho kicks Arn to the floor and dives into him. Woman runs some interference, allowing Arn to drill Jericho and take over. The crowd's been very antsy, like we said, all night. Uh, it seems like they just keep waiting for the NWO. They're not into much here besides some big pops uh, for big moves. Arn comes off the middle rope but eats a shot from Jericho. Bobby says you can tell Arn has stuff on his mind. He's not very crisp tonight. And that is the NWO's goal, to mess with people. Arn bails to the uh, apron. Jericho meets him with a springboard shoulder block, comes off the top with a nice back elbow for two, tries a lion salt, but Arn dodges and snaps him with the DDT to pick up the clean win. I like the finish, uh, but again, the match kind of slogged. The angle dragged it down, the commentary ignoring it. Everyone just seems a little distracted tonight across the board. Uh, Arn definitely seemed out of it. Jericho was on point, though. I thought he looked sharp. So I just went two and a half, Chad. I thought this was disappointing. I, again, I think we slogged between the angle dominating and the commentary all over the place. It just seems like we're kind of messy tonight. I'm on the opposite on you on this one. Similar rating, but I, I thought it performed well. I, I went two and three quarters. Um, I thought it was fine entering for what it was. Uh. I thought the I actually think the the main detractors on this match is the crowd just mm. being very pro worn. Kind of sucks. Like I don't know, they're probably just more unfamiliar with Jericho. I'm guessing, but um, I don't know. Like does Cleveland? I guess Cleveland's kind of like a tough town. I, it it feels like they're not very receptive to like pretty boy type baby faces. Right. Uh, we'll get to the Rock and Roll Express. I later. think the NWO is just getting over though too like that's yeah. all they seem to want to see like they're the coolest yeah, team they're the coolest that's group and that's they want to see the star the rock stars right i mean that's it's like if you go to see you know a uh, metallica 
and then whatever you get Harry Styles playing for three hours. <laughs> like you, just, yeah. you know, you just want to see Metallica. It's like they just want to see the the badasses. You know. I got, I got you. I agree with that. Uh, thought of Jericho had a nice back kick that Arn bailed on. Apron crossbody from Jericho looked good. Uh, I mean, when Woman got in Jericho's face and slapped him, that got a good pop. When Arn sends Jericho in the steps, that also got a nice pop. Um, but Jericho, again, showing good fire. Like, he fires back inside. He gets the springboard to the outside. Hits that back elbow. That gets a nice two count. Uh, and then I like the way the finish was set up, where the line salt misses. It goes right into the DDT. Uh, very kind of seamless transition from that, where Jericho kind of landed on his knees, but he was already in the crotch position where... Arn was able just to grab the uh, head and execute the DDT uh, very quickly. So two and three quarters, I mean, not not great, but I, I thought as far as what they wanted to accomplish in ring wise, I, I feel like they had the template here and they, uh, they were, they were, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think the crowd was funky. So yeah, that's what it is. Happens. All right, we get another NWO paid advertisement. This is just a generic shirt ad with Hall, Nash, and Giant. Buy the shirt. We then get reset again by Tony, Tene, and Bobby. We cut backstage. Liz has her bag. She's leaving the building, and she has a paper of some sort. Bobby says we got more important things to worry about than her feelings. Tony confirms Bischoff left the building, and he's on his way to confront the New World Order. Uh, so pretty basic. Any comments there? No. I mean, they... You know, with Elizabeth leaving the building, it's like I couldn't help but think of the January 4th, 99 Nitro, mm. where it's like, man, they loved, like, they went back to this well again of, like, these shows that kind of revolve around Elizabeth. So, yeah. I mean, luckily here, she wasn't given much as right. far as her, like, having to talk or act. So, she did fine here. But it's, Well, it's and the an, ties in history to Savage are big. Oh, yeah. For compared sure. to that one. I mean, that's a big part. Uh, that one, the, uh, the <laughs> Baki gym, but uh, yeah, this one kind of comes out of that one comes out of nowhere. So for sure. All right, to the ring we go in a match straight out of your 1994 WWF nightmares is Lex Luger <laughs> takes on the newly rechristened M Wall yeah. Street, as we talked about last week. No yep. VK, no longer there. Again, <laughs> we assume that's part of the lawsuits going on. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, this is like right out of a Coliseum home video from 1994. That would be like 20 minutes of an IRS abdominal stretch. But mm-hmm. uh, we get a nice pop for Luger. We get some Havoc talk, get some standing switches. Tony tells us Lex believes the Sting just needs time to work things out. Wall Street buries a knee, but Luger comes back with a flurry. He gets a near fall before going to a side headlock. Bobby says WCW has very little time to prep for Halloween Havoc. And the NWO, we need more urgency. Luger gets dumped outside. Wall Street lays in some shots. Uh, we get talked to the uh, about the NWO making calculated moves to stay ahead of WCW. Luger tries to come back, but Wall Street swarms him with strikes, goes to a chin lock. We churn on through this with more Bischoff and NWO talk. Wall Street dominating his usual slow pace. After our third chin lock, Luger powers out, gets a flurry of near falls. Tony reminds us the horsemen all blame Luger for war games. Luger finally finishes with a forearm and the torture rack for the submission. Again, fine. Kind of boring, though. It's standard with Wall Street eating up the offense of a whole match. Luger gave way too much here at Havoc. This, yep. this should have been a brief heat segment and come back. Uh, uh, look, I'm all for quality matches, but Wall Street's not that guy. And Luger's in some hot stuff right now. He should be dominating. So two and a quarter. It was cromulent, but it was nothing that was going to capture your imagination. Yeah, I went two stars. I also didn't think the reaction for Luger was that great from the crowd. Um, yeah. yeah, this whole match, it felt kind of below Luger. Like, 
I, I feel like he's cooled off a bit. Like this was a guy that was our MVP for a lot of episodes, and he's. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say what he's been doing is bad the mm-hmm. last month or two, but he's you know like we were debating whether him or the giant was number eight. So he's, he's dropped um, for sure. And having these 50-50 matches with the likes of uh, M. Wall Street don't help. Uh, when they were actually not, um, when uh, he wasn't doing rest holds Wall Street, I thought he looked pretty crisp. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the slam and elbow for the two count looked good. Uh, you know, the snapmare looked fine. <laughs> but I mean, that's that. Wall Street's just so generic. Like his clotheslines and stuff is okay, but he's so generic, and he always goes back to the fucking chin lock. Like he loves just mm-hmm. going straight to a rest hold. I don't, I don't. He's someone that really just cannot find an interesting way to connect a match together. Like he does not have that ability. So right. two stars, very generic. The uh, rack in and of itself, slipping out of the suplex. I thought that was a cool spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, always good to see the rag. That actually feels like something we hadn't seen in a while either. So it was nice to see that. Yeah, just too much selling. Luger, Luger's just been yeah. This just... was this this was way too competitive for what it should have been for sure. I mean, I think it went like seven and a half minutes. It should have been probably two, three votes. Tony, Bobby, and today recap everything with Sting for us because uh, they were wrong with Sting and they lost War Games. So they want to make a peace offering. And it's a change from the WCW Motorsports car has been revamped to the Sting WCW Motorsports car. Car number 29 comes out. It's totally redone. It's got Sting paint and theme. I know it's cool looking and a nice, I mean, obviously it's like not going to do anything, but it's a nice little step in the angle. They're showing they're trying to make amends. They're trying to give a gift to Sting by giving him this honor of the the WCW Motorsports car. But I, I thought it was fine. They're so in the bed with NASCAR around this yes. time. Like it's insane. Um, was NASCAR yeah. on Turner? Is that why? I need to see like when NASCAR went on TNT. Probably, uh, I, you know, like it's nice that um, they did actually integrate a little bit of, uh, you know, like they they did integrate a little bit of um, storyline into mm-hmm. this. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, so it's it, it, it wasn't even for the Winston Cup, like the main cup. It was for the Bush Series, which is, you know, the, the lower race. Uh, did you notice who they said was going to be driving the car? Uh, it Oh, frig, I didn't mark it down, but I did. Who was it? TNA legend Elliot Sadler. <laughs> That's his, uh, he gets well, Hermie Sadler is the, Hermie's the TNA legend. Yeah. But, <laughs> not Elliot. Um. <laughs> Turner is for it didn't start airing NASCAR till 2001. So, uh, I think they were on TBS before then. Maybe. Oh, yeah, moving from TBS to TNT. Let me see when it says that. Uh, 1983. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they usually switch, uh, you know, before, right? So, there we go. Is Hermie and Elliot Sadler related? They gotta be, right? they have to be, I'm sure. Fighting Sadlers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Younger brother. Of okay. Herbie. Yeah. Yeah. Herbie's the NW and uh, TNA guy. <laughs> I, th- I want to thank Elliot. Elliot made an appearance as well. He may have at some point, yeah. but Herbie's the one that has that, oh, yeah, all, all over that. the place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. To the ring we go is the Faces of Fear take on the Rock and Roll Express. 
Jimmy's out with the Haku and uh, Barbarian. Tony's still trying to make Lone Wolf work. Uh, today says <laughs> the power swung so far to the NWO, they got to figure things out. The Faces of Fear will face Mongo and Benoit Halloween Havoc, uh, which could be fun. Bobby hypes the Face of Fear hard, setting up for a nice push. Ming mauls Morton to get us going, but Ricky uses his speed to sneak in a sleeper, leaps on his back, and just sits there as Bobby says he's got no clue how to attack Ming, so he's just doing this. <laughs> Ricky holds the sleeper for a while, but Ming breaks free. Barbarian comes in and fights off both Rock and Roll Express members, including a cool spot where they dogpile him and just throws him off. Tanae says it's a big hill to climb for Rock and Roll's, uh, really hyping Faces of Fear up. Barbarian lays in some nice back elbows and a hard... Clothesline, Gibson gets a flash two count, but after a break, Barbarian is working over Morton. Tony says the NWOs are sitting back laughing from afar tonight. Barbarian murders Gibson with a clothesline, and Ming stuffs him with a pile driver, just complete dominance. Tony talks about the R&R legacy, but they must, they've really been shoved tonight overall. Barbarian power on Morton and struts around, which is pretty funny. Uh, he only gets two somehow, though, as the rock and rolls won't stay down. Barb murders Morton with a backbreaker for two, just looks sick. Ming hooks a camel clutch, but Morton hangs on and tries to come uh, out to come back. The heat segment rolls on. We're starting to lose the crowd. Bobby's laying into Hogan in the NWO as a face of fear had a double uh, diving headbutt, but Gibson saves. Barbarian misses the top rope headbutt. Gibson tags in, and Barbarian's rattled. The R&Rs get a double drop kick, and then Gibson gets tied up with Jimmy, and Barbarian kicks him in the head to pick up the win. Face of fear work over Morton, but public enemy make the save, and they get laid out, too, with the face of fear wrecking Grunge's knee pretty badly, and that'll come into play in the future. But for now, it looks like Grunge is banged up. Pretty fun match overall with some great face of fear power spots, but it had two flaws. It went too long. You got to mm. read the crowd here. They just were not into this at all. Nope. And the face of fear just crushed the R&R's all match, but still needed Jimmy to win. Like, just if you wanted to be strong, just be strong. Uh, that would get the bigger pop from the crowd if they did. It should have ended with the double headbutt that they they get up from. Uh, yeah. Post match was good, and it leads to an angle. Uh, tighten this up, and I think we have a bit of a head and gem. As is, I went two and three quarters. Again, just just lacking a bit because of the. You know, just dragging on too long. Yeah, two and a half for me. I agree with your critiques. Uh, the crowd, God bless, they didn't give a shit about this match. Um, I, I liked it. <laughs> I liked most of it. Um, Morton locked on the sleeper, means slinging him off. I thought it was good. Uh, Barbarian tries to panther the crowd and gets mm-hmm. like a second reaction, but then just gets nothing. Uh, the sunset flip hope spot was good here. Uh, and then uh, as we head to break, Wildcat Willie's looking into inside the Sting car. He's checking it out. Uh, some of the power moves in the second half of this match by the face of the pier was nasty. The pile driver, the power bomb, all look great. Barbarian missing the headbutt, and then uh, Morton making the hot tag. I always love that spot. Like Robert gives his knee lifts, and he's doing everything. They do the double drop kick. It just gets no reaction. Um, and then uh, we head to the finish. I agree with you. Like, I mean, the the uh, kick to the back of the head that uh, mm-hmm. is giving to Robert by Barbarian, it, it looks good. But um, yeah, Jimmy being on the apron and that causing like a distraction, that it's a little cheap. Uh, I did like the post match a lot, where uh, I, I thought Faces of Fear again looked like badasses beat down Public Enemy. Uh, they they look pretty strong. Like they've all of a sudden being presented as one of your top tag teams, uh, at least in the post match. So they did a good job there. Match itself, yeah, could have been tightened. Uh, crowd again just don't care. So that sucks. But what can you do? I don't I don't think I would change much about the structure of the match except to shorten the length. So two and a half. 
All right, back to the hotel as Nobbs is destroying a pizza like a slob. DiBiase barks <laughs> at room service for their uh, Dom Perignon that they're waiting on. Oh. Hogan says all they do is deliver since the outsiders have arrived. Yep. Uh, the door opens and in comes Kyle Petty, the NWO car driver. He's with them. Uh, Hogan's bragging on everything. Petty, <laughs> such a ridiculous line. He goes, I didn't even know WCW had a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is such a weird world we're in right now. Uh, they talk <laughs> up winning the race and then a Havoc where he will take down Nacho Man with help from everyone in the room. Hogan says there'll be trick-or-treat for Liz. Just the NWO fully in their bag, killing themselves. Even Kyle Petty doesn't live it up here. The whole time. <laughs> Between the uh, sumo monster truck battle last Halloween Havoc and now this NASCAR talk, like, I, I don't know. Does w, some WCW executives, do they wake up in September and start really getting an inkling for motorsports in general? <laughs> so. I, I there must have been something big happening. It's a lot a of race coming. It is the fall season, so maybe they're trying to hype up. Yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, like, your bigger your bigger races are going. I mean, Daytona 500 is by far the bigger race. I mean, maybe the Talladega fall race, but that's, you know, it's a big race, but not, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought Petty was pretty funny here. I mean, he's kind of naturally a little swarmy, so he fit right in. Uh, Cal Petty is sweet was uh, pretty hilarious. So there you go. Yeah, him saying WCW did. He didn't even know they had a car. That was uh, enjoyable. Let me. I'm gonna look up real quick as you set up the the uh, main event here. I'm gonna see where Cal Petty ended on the 1996 Winston Cup standing. Okay, I gotta think that had to be a. Um, it must have been a sweeps thing where they're maybe trying to hype NASCAR again, or maybe just trying to real crossover. Like they know there's a big crossover yeah. Audience, I think so. it's more just crossover. Yeah. All right, to the ring we go. It's for our main event, and that is Rick Steiner taking on Chris Benoit, which could be good if we get some time. We get some more racing talk. Bobby says that Petty's driving the NWO. That's driving go to the influence. Steiner is solo, but Benoit has Mongo with him. Nick Patrick's bragging about working hurt before the match. He shows off his neck brace. Tony bids farewell to production guru Rob Wright and hopes he's not jumping to the NWO in retirement. We get a big slugfest here, as you'd expect. Hard strikes until Rick crushes him with a German. Benoit baits Rick out, takes back over. Benoit lays in some hard clotheslines for two, but Rick comes back and gets a chin lock. We get a weird confusion spot where Rick looks like he's going to cover, but he doesn't. Benoit clobbers him to the side of the head and shoves Rick down, gets a tight snap suplex. Benoit runs into a boot. Rick mows him down and spikes him with a power slam for two. Deborah gets on the apron, which allows Mongo to smash Rick with the briefcase, sets up a super belly-to-belly, and Benoit falls on top of him during that for the win. This is disappointing. Like, it could have been great, but this didn't get the time to escalate into a hotter finish. Just, you know, it is what it is on the show at times. Like, we got so much going on, we don't get to a lot the appropriate amount of time to some of this stuff, but it was fun. What we saw there were hard smashing strikes, power spots. They could, and Mongo Benoit continue to develop well as a mini unit within the horsemen. I, I think, and I forgot how like tight this run was with the two of them. Be curious how long it lasts, but they really become quite the little team. I went two and three quarter stars on the match. So Kyle Petty, rough year, <laughs> uh, 27th in the standings. Uh, only two top tens the whole year. Uh, man, I just, I love NASCAR racer names from around this time. I mean, you have Dick Trickle, which is, <laughs> of course, like the the icon, but just like Ricky Rudd, Rusty Wallace, Sterling Marlin, Bobby Labonte. I mean, those are, those are race car names. So, 
fun times. Uh, no, I mean, this match itself, I agree. Like, it was, it was too short to really be anything great. I went two and a quarter. Um, you know, I mean, not bad for a five-minute match, but uh, 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 they uh, Tony, at one point, says that Ron Wright got another job. Yes. I'm guessing this was the Ron Wright. Uh, now I'm second-guessing myself, because my note says Rob. Did he say Rob or Ron? I had it as Ron, Rob. I think it's oh. just like a guy that worked in the truck or whatever. Okay, because I was hoping it was Ron Wright from Smoky Mountain fame, who's a hilarious hill manager that should have been a no, huge I, star. I, I think it was just a production dude. Okay, I, I thought maybe like Crockett had hung Ron Wright around, but never mind. Uh, the German suplex Rick gives to Benoit is absolutely devastating. Uh, the clotheslines they give to each other was good. I mean, this this was good action. It's just too short. And then Deborah distracting Nick Patrick and Mongo hitting Steiner with a briefcase. I, I thought that was a good uh, finish. And on one hand, I like that they mentioned how loud that was. On the other hand, that's a very prickly path because there's a mm-hmm. lot of distractions that happen with chairs, trash cans, yeah. briefcases, etc. that make a lot of noise. So if you're saying it's, you know, completely ridiculous he didn't hear this, then it's probably going to be ridiculous that he doesn't hear the other stuff. So right. two and a quarter, fine main event. All right, Tony wraps this up in the arena, but says we'll get one more word for the NWO for our final paid ad. Back to the hotel we go. Hogan and Giant are trying to sell the NWO to Liz, who's sitting on the couch. Giant says he's got no acting ability at all, but he's already done two movies, one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and one <laughs> Jim Carrey. He says the NWO is like family. Liz says they don't understand. So Hogan starts talking to her, but he's interrupted by Vincent. They shut him down, and Hogan says he's already got a three-movie deal lined up for Liz if she signs. Liz says things have changed since they made the deal, but Hogan just keeps talking over her. Vincent brings in a gift, and Liz leaves as they start opening it. She's walking down the hall, sadly, as Randy Savage comes sprinting down and starts screaming at her, saying she set him up yet again. He sees that she's carrying a paper, and he just keeps yelling at her and says he can't take it anymore. Uh, you're going to be ripping me. And she keeps uh, trying to calm him down as we cut away. Just complete madness to end this. Uh, this is another iconic moment uh, that me and Jimmy stood recreate. You're going to be ripping me. Shut me up again. Just screaming at her in the hallway. Just imagine being in this hotel on this night. <laughs> pure, <laughs> pure, utter madness and chaos going down. But uh, I don't know. What do you think of our final? Well, I mean, it was fine. I, a couple of things are like, you know, where was Savage at? Right, right. Because, like, Elizabeth was in the arena till the yeah. second hour of Nitro, is able to leave, and then is chilling with Hogan on the couch. So, I mean, where, where the heck Savage been the whole time? Like, he's running down like he was just released from prison or something. Um, so, that, yeah. that was a little weird. The gift that Vincent gives also, I, I don't know, that was kind of weird too. Hogan telling Liz if she wants Brad Pitt or Kevin Costner, he can make a call and get them. That was about Hubers. <laughs> uh, you know, like Brad Pitt, <laughs> the Brad Pitt Hogan interaction. I don't know why. It just it uh, seems strange. Uh, as far as the final, I mean, Savage is psycho. Like, this is a lot of real life bleeding into storyline. Right. So, him yelling son of a bitch and grabbing Elizabeth, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it's a little tough to watch, I guess, in 2022. But, right, um, right. 
as an angle itself. I, th- I thought it was fine to advance what they're trying to do. I mean, it definitely feels personal mm-hmm. heading into Halloween Havoc. So yeah, and I think we'll get more that. of the list stuff. Like, we'll we'll start to see why, how the NWO is playing her. Right. Savage, right. They're trying to really get in Savage's head. So. Okay. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how that fleshes out. Yeah, so very, very mad. You gotta be ribbit. All right, be ribbit. Yeah. Let's get to our uh, awards here as we wrap up this episode of Nitro. Tough slate in ring. I went with Wright and Malenko for best match. I went with Wright and Malenko as well. Uh, for best moments, I don't know. I ended up just going with the final NWO ad because of the Savage and Liz stuff was kind of the most important. But I mean, there's other ones, I guess. If you, if you really wanted to go with the Wolfman one, I wouldn't be grudgy. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually going with Bischoff's promo from the Yeah, top. that was good too. MVP, I, I just went with Hogan. Um, you know, he was kind of the linchpin of all those things, all those paid ads, and everything's just revolving around him and how he's playing things. So, yeah, he's. I mean, he's kind of the center of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went with Bischoff though. I I, th- I thought he did a really good job. I I thought of like the NWO stuff. I thought was fine. It was funny as we talked about, mm-hmm. but. I didn't think it was in the top stuff we'd seen from no, him. No, definitely not. Yeah. Whereas with Bischoff, uh, his demeanor and everything, I did think it was in the top. And it could just be like, you know, like I didn't expect that. So I'm more surprised. But, yeah, I thought he had a real good night. Uh, any commentary lines to pick up? Yeah, I got a couple. Let me get those pulled up. Uh, Larry calls Cleveland the mistake on the lake uh, when they're talking about him stealing uh, Ray uh, Mysterio's mask. Uh, Larry asks a rhetorical question, well, is he that ugly? Um, After Wright gets the upset, Larry says, shocked me and I'm smarter than the world. Uh, You mentioned it, but Larry says, she's a woman, she's fickle, you can't trust them. So Larry always always has uh, female issues. Uh, Heenan talking about Eric. We didn't really mention this much, but Heenan was really kind of, and and this again was something I I don't know. Like Bobby, this is a, uh, another who side is he on situation? Because when Eric Bell's like Heenan says, well, is he going to be a part of the NWO? Like he he just can't help himself. He kind of has to get it out there that he's the smart person that predicted it before everybody else. I thought Tony did a pretty good job of shutting that down. And then Bobby does kind of backtrack and say, well, you know, you just can't trust nobody these days. So that was okay. But it's just like, I mean, why, why say that? Like that line doesn't carry any utility. So just can it. Um, uh, mean hasn't been asleep since 62. That was Bobby. And uh, then, you know, we'll get this on both shows, but I made a mention here, Ming spits in that match, and uh, Tony says that would have made Roberto Alomar proud. Yes, uh, good timing the inf- there. Yeah, the infamous spit of uh, Roberto Alomar to the umpire mm-hmm. was September 27th. Okay, so, so just three, happened. yep, three days later. All right. Uh, no D. I'm sorry, one W L Technico. Uh, no drop. What about angles. Nasty Nick? Are you? Hey, okay, we could do Nasty Nick. <laughs> nasty Nick Hogan. Yeah. Uh, so I, are we counting El Technico? Yeah, yeah, it's a debut. 
okay. character debut. Uh, no dropped angles. No. And final grade, I I liked this episode still. I know, again, I'm very nostalgic for this era of both companies, so a lot of this stuff just, like, sparks big memories. The, the Nash noise, the Savage, you're going to be ribbing me. But I really liked all the hotel stuff. Uh, I, I thought the Bischoff stuff was good. And it's just, you know, we knew they had to fill time between now and Havoc, right? So they're slow burning some of this stuff and they got to fill time. The weak spot was in the ring and they could have easily fixed that by just giving a little bit more time to some of the better matches and and limiting the distractions on others. So I still went seven out of 10. Like it's still a, a compelling wrestling program. We're still developing a lot of angles. We're still moving forward. Like there's a lot going on. So uh, to me, this was still a, a high quality show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty low. This might be the lowest. Let me see when this. Uh, this might be the lowest Nitro scored in NWO era. I went five and a half. Mm. Um, I, you know, thinking about like the vignettes, I liked them, and I liked a lot of the ring ring matches. Like this is actually a pretty consistent in ring show. Like mm-hmm. there's only one match I have graded as good, but uh, a lot were like in the two to three. Um. I don't know. Just between the crowd and the stars not appearing, this felt more scatterbrained than I think we've seen since uh, early June or uh, really since uh, May. So, yeah, I think I said in mind as like a concept show. I don't know. Yeah, I think they yeah. And we talked about that with Marcus last episode, how they really hit home runs on all these concept shows. I think they kind of fell in love a little bit too much with that idea to go back to back with it. And this one still felt a little more conventional, like, I mean, more than what they'd done before. The others felt groundbreaking. This felt more like. Okay, like the NWO is climbing around, and then we'll get some storyline stuff. But it's a lot of, you know, we're fraternity too. Uh, anything on Northside Connections, Chad? You're digging. You want to? Play? Uh, content every day, pretty much, and uh, clothesline and headlines redebuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be uh, about a week and a half ago once this drops. Um, but uh, enjoyed that. Thought it was a great format. Kudos to Ryan getting that off the ground. Yes. Again, some of the voices you heard, Drew Cronoso, will be on that. We got some scoops in the mm-hmm. indie section. So that was cool to get a little little nuggets there. Uh, overall, I greatly enjoyed that. So that, that's what I, I did. Uh, I did also... I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it. I think I'm joking, but I listened to the uh, now entering with Billy Gunn. Yes. I actually really like that because, I mean, you know, it was an hour and 15 minutes on Billy Gunn. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that you can make that work because it's Billy Gunn, but uh, it was entertaining. And he had an interesting path in the Royal Rumble over the years. So I thought y'all did a good job chronicling that. No, the king of the asses. Yeah, him wearing that thong. I enjoyed the discussion over that. Great theme songs. Great theme songs. <laughs> yeah, check it all out. We're really proud of all the content we have here, for sure. Um, and implore you to share it, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or other podcast apps, and uh, spread the word. Thank you. All go. right, let's head back to Wheeling, West Virginia. No, no, no sorry, no. Where are we? Now? Hershey, Hershey, Hershey Park Arena. Yep. So used to do Wheeling. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we we're there for like nine yeah. years. Yeah, we're gone. Uh, okay, yeah, that's right. We're in Hershey now uh, after my games. Uh, we open with a recap of Jim Ross's meltdown from last week, the arrival of Razor Ramon, 
Kevin Kelly says Razor will battle Savio Vega tonight, and Diesel's in the building too. And we get our opening <laughs> animation. So we'll see where that heads. Uh, Kevin, Jerry Lawler, and Jim Ross open up the show and hype what's ahead. We get right into our opening match, which is Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin. And there's a good idea to start with Austin. He's the biggest rising star they have right now. Uh, kind of wake up the crowd a little bit that may have been lulled after the live show. King's already in on the Jake jokes. He shows the bottle <laughs> of Jim Beam at ringside. Uh, King of the Ring rematch, of course. Here is Jake's looking for revenge. He's also without his vest. Uh, so maybe he's feeling himself a little bit more. It feels like he's a little bit better shape. He's back to topless. Uh, King says Jake lost his shirt. He traded it for a shot. Kevin says Gorilla Monsoon will join us later. JR hypes up Austin big time here. Says he faces Salvio Vega in your house. So we're back to that feud. Austin fucks with Jake a bit early as King keeps the jokes coming. Austin cranks aside headlock, but Jake slugs him down as Ross wonders if Gorilla will fire him for a third time tonight. Jake points at King and then stalks Austin as the jokes keep coming. Austin is slow to re-engage as JR says he's had a long talk with Bret Hart last night and he's upset with Austin's recent words and King says was it the real Bret Hart, which was a great dig. I thought it was mm -hmm. really good. Uh, Kevin says Vince McMahon will be on Livewire this weekend and totally live. And that should be interesting. Jake kicks Austin down. He bails out as Ross says it may be the first time Vince has something interesting to say that wasn't scripted for him. Jake is on fire, blocking a chair shot, drawing with King, but Austin nails him with an elbow and takes over with some frantic offense. King keeps going in on Jake. JR says Austin was stomping all over Madison Square Garden last night, and he thinks the garden will become Stone Cold's house soon, which is a very good premonition. JR also rants about not getting to do the job promised outside of Bill Rare Dog 2, says you know, he was hired to be a play-by-play -play guy, and outside of that one show, he's only been doing color work. He compares uh, King compares JR to Jeff George running his mouth and getting let go, and it makes JR say he misses Atlanta. Austin keeps pouring it on, but Jake eventually runs into the corner twice, crotches him on the top rope. Jake calls for the DDT, but Austin hooks the ropes and gets two with his feet. Austin argues with the ref as Lawler goes to ringside. Jake snaps down the DDT, but Austin gets the ropes. King then bases Jake over and spits the Jim Beam in his face. JR gets his Roberto Alomar joke in. Austin recovers and hits the stunner for the win. And then King and Austin attack Jake until Savio saves with a strap. A uh, fun match out of nowhere, actually. I thought Jake looked better. He was moving better. He was working a little bit faster. It's amazing. He's feeling okay. Austin was awesome. He's just all over the place. A constant ball of energy. The finish was good, too. I thought it was well done. It was smooth. Even though, again, like we said on Nitro, I think Austin could have won this clean. The Jake Lawler feud is established. And it didn't really feel like Austin needed the help. He just got the help. Uh, good opening segment. It brought some energy for once on a tape to Raw. So on two and three quarters. Yeah, two and a half. It was good. Uh, it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um... I, a lot going on, <laughs> a lot going on on this match actually, uh, between Lawler and his Jim Bean with Jake stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of raw stuff. Um, you know the the graphic of Savio versus Razor and Ross yep. saying, you know, there he is right there, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and then the Bret Hart line like you talked about that was a great dig. Vince on Livewire, very highly promoted, which given the week uh, in 2022, Vince McMahon's had, it's it's funny to hear, like, again, like, Vince showing up on one of the shows is being promoted. It's a big selling point. Um, a match itself, I thought it was pretty rudimentary and early going, where Austin avoids DDT, uh, does a little bit of work over the midsection when he goes on top. Uh, we learn that Austin's facing Savio at Buried Alive. You know, um, that was the announced match on this day. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, 
Roberts uh, fires away two shots, but gets uh, cut off by Austin again. I thought he did a good uh, good job with his cutoffs, uh, being ferocious. Comes back, Austin gets crotched on the top, and then the short arm clothesline calls for the DDT. I like that Austin hung onto the ropes, uh, goes for the pin mm-hmm. with his foot on the ropes. Kyoto is a smart official, doesn't count that. And then I was ready to hate this finish, actually, because I didn't, I didn't have any idea who won this. So I was so pissed when Jake hit the DDT mm-hmm. and got mad because I was like, no, you did not job out Austin right here. That's what we've been talking about. Right. Uh, they worked me. Great, great spot where he actually puts his foot on the rope. So it protects the move, protects Austin, win-win, like really smartly done. I don't know who agented this match, but they mm-hmm. did a really good job. Uh, then, like you said, Jake gets distracted by Lawler, gets the boo spit in his face, and then kind of walks into the stunner for the pin. Uh, and then the after-match beatdown with Savio using the strap to clean the house, uh, clean house to end the segment. But yeah, overall, I mean, Austin looked good, Jake. I mean, Jake's definitely on the decline. He's definitely still pudgy, but he seemed to be a little bit motivated here. I'll, I'll say that. So yeah, a good... Good opener for Raw, two and a half. All right, we go to the graveyard where mankind's digging a grave, and ranting, Paul Barra says Taker will dig his own graves to be buried alive. King comes back to the booth. We see Razor and Diesel prepping backstage. Then out comes Hunter Hearst Helmsley, storms to the ring angrily, and demands that Mr. Perfect come out and accept a challenge for a match. He wants to find out why he's called Perfect, and he'll show him what the new generation's about. And then he heads to the commentary table. Uh, any thoughts on these couple of segments here? Yeah, so a couple things. Like, you could definitely tell backstage that Razor and Diesel were decidedly not Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Mm-hmm. So they give that front, like, face-up version of them. So you can say, okay. Like, yeah, for sure. Right. These are not these guys. Um, Ross really leaning heel. Like, after mm-hmm. the vignette, he talks about how, like, Taker hasn't proven to him he can beat Mankind on pay-per-view. Uh, so that was interesting that he's leaning like that heelish in his commentary. Right. All right. To the ring we go as the Godwins are out to take on the Grim Twins, Jared and Jason. And I cannot escape the Harris boys, Chad. No. Wherever I go, they follow. They, they left follow. ECW in 96 as the Bruise Brothers for this run. I guess not the worst move given the Baron tag division. Um so whatever, like they need bodies. Why not take a shot? They have simple black tights on and short hair here. So they've cut the long curls that they had in ECW most recently. Uh, Hillbilly Jim and the Hound and the Goat lead out the Godwins. As Ross says, the Smoking Guns will get a tag title rematch it in your house against Bulldog and Owen. Hunter says this family has class and dignity. They're not thieves like Perfect, who may have been good at one point, but he's a has-been now. Kevin tells us uh, one Grim is named Jason. He starts with Phineas. Moves him down, mows him down. King keeps up the Jake jokes as Phineas turns the tide on Jason. Hunter keeps ripping perfect and joins in on the Jake bashing. Jared tags in and Hank buries him with a shoulder block. That clothesline over the top. The crowd sweetening is hot tonight, by the way. It's it's working overtime in this match and the whole show. Oh, perfect, yeah. perfect joins us from backstage. He's laughing. Says for 11 months he did commentary on superstars and not one so-called new generation star challenged him. But out comes Hunter, so Perfect has to accept out of respect. But he wants to give Hunter a couple weeks to get in shape. The Grimms double up on Hank and keep him down with strikes. JR defends Mr. Perfect as Hank gets a soft knee lift and makes a tag. 
Phineas comes in and unloads with a flurry and does a scuffling before Jason knocks him down. Kid calls Phineas an idiot. Jason works <laughs> Phineas, but he quickly slips free with a slop drop and picks up the win. Uh, I mean, not terrible, honestly. The Godwins just played out. Uh, why not have the Grimms win and see if they can do something with them? Like, it's such a soft tag division. Maybe they get over and set themselves up as contenders. I don't know. They're not that bad. Uh, I'll tell you what's bad as a name. The Grim and Jason yeah. and Jared do not sound Jared. Exactly, yeah. uh, tough here as names. So <laughs> I, went, I went to stars that there was a fine, you know, brawl. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the perfect stuff is interesting, too. So it looks like him and Hunter are going to fight at some point in the future. Jared Grimm. <laughs> Does not scream made of enter. No. Uh, star and three quarters for me. I like when our notes line up on a Hank drop because I legitimately say Hank hits a shoulder back <laughs> in my notes well. So that's cool. Same same spot. We threw out the Hank. Uh, match itself. It was, it was what it was. I mean, it was fine. Like they, they actually traded some beefy blows at points. So it wasn't bad. The uh, I agree with you. I didn't really think about it at the time. But, yeah, there wasn't much reason for the Godwins to win this. Um, right. I, I wouldn't want, I mean, as much as it pains me to stay, because I love, like, Tracy Smothers and Dirty White Boy, but, I mean, I wouldn't lump the Grim Twins in the same group as those guys. Like, they could have gotten somewhat of a, a push here, uh, just to see. So, uh, someone in the crowd also in the end is legit wearing a pig nose, which is just terrible like like, like, come on (laughs) this is really bad like i don't know i I mean first off where do you buy that i mean i guess costume or something but anyway yeah uh the mr perfect hunter stuff Mm -hmm. definitely feels like they're building towards a match yeah and he challenges them to the match and he says okay so so i'm interested to see i need to read up on the melzers or somebody Mm -hmm. has backstory on that or if they address in the upcoming weeks because again i don't watch beyond this but um right interested to see when that goes awry because yeah i mean they're definitely promoting a match right now right all right doc hendricks files our second report on jeff jarrett and the real double j says we have evidence that jarrett's whole music career was a hoax we see footage from In Your House 2 that was Jarrett lip syncing and had struck a secret deal with the real Double J and then used as a success to carry both to the top. But when the scandal was on the verge of being exposed, Double J uh, bailed into hiding, left his partner high and dry. So tonight we see the secret rehearsal tapes from Nashville and the real singer prepping the band was the roadie who will now take the spotlight as the real Double J, Jesse James. So a uh, big moment here as we find out who the real Double J is going to be. So help me out on this. They were... Were they going to feud in 95? I don't know. I think so. I think that was the plan. And then Jarrett left and Rhodey went with him, right? I mean, because we're assuming that Rhodey rehearsing is actually from In Your House too, Right. Or do you think they oh yeah, well he that? No, he sang the song. It's from In Your House too, because he sang it. So I think he was doing a sound check before the thing. And then Jeff... Jarrett lip synced it. Right, but why? I mean, I guess they. I think he just ran the soundtrack and they just filmed it. I I mean, it may have been, but they just record everything. You know what I mean? So they might have just been like testing it and they had the footage. Yeah. But I would think there was probably a plan for them to reveal in turn. I'm pretty sure. Especially with him costing him the match. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's probably. Again, it just seems so weird because, again, like this this predates our. Right. 
our start of the podcast. So I haven't watched the right. stuff around In Your House 2 in forever. And I haven't even watched the In Your House 2 match in a while. So right. um, I, I don't know. I, I don't care. It's like I don't care. Like it's he's at least gone. better than the Razor and Diesel stuff. I'll say that. That's a uh, yeah. I will say that. I'll definitely say that. All right. Speaking of, back to the ring we go. As Savio Vega takes on Razor Ramon. Uh, Kevin and Jr. say J- Jeff Jarrett was really a fraud. Rhodey was the singer. Razor saunters out for this big debut. The crowd is completely unimpressed. Uh, Jr. puts him over as a big, strong athlete. He's here to kick Fanny. Jr. says he never mentioned Scott Hall, or Kevin Ash by name. He just wants great athletes. After a break, Gorilla Monsoon's at the table. He's already bickering with JR. Gorilla says this is not Razor Ramon, but JR says the contract says Razor Ramon. Gorilla should spend more time in the office, maybe. Gorilla's concerned about JR's attitude. JR defends himself, given how Vince destroyed his life. But Gorilla says JR hasn't missed many meals. That's <laughs> quite the dig. Savio comes in hot and attacks Razor as Gorilla clearly states again that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were never the plan to come back to Dirty F. JR says Gorilla mentioned their names. He never did. Razor chucks Savio down as JR wonders why that's even a big deal. The man's got a big money deal. He's a great athlete. Let's enjoy it. Gorilla says the crowd doesn't like him because JR duped him into thinking he was a beloved star. Gorilla wants to know his real name. JR says it's just Razor Ramon. And we're just going in circles now with these two. Razor works the arm, but Savio slugs back as so we keep going back and forth over semantics on the name. Razor, it's a fallaway slam. Kevin sarcastically calls it an original move. Gorilla says he can't wait to see Diesel, but it won't be Kevin Nash. JR says he never promised Holler Nash. Razor's back to the arm. He slugs away as JR's Gorilla. If he and Vince were embarrassed, JR says he was embarrassed and he got fired. King tells JR to basically take the shit somewhere else. Not on Raw. It's not interesting. JR says Gorilla can come to his executive office. They can talk there. We get more arm work. The match is just a backdrop to the bitch fest with JR and Gorilla. JR keeps talking up all the outstanding athletes, and no one's denying it. Gorilla just wants to know why is JR making him be something he isn't. JR says the contract is longer than Gorilla's, and he's going to be around a long time. Kevin and King beg them to stop as Razor meanders through some more offense. Doc is outside Razor and Diesel's locker room. He tries to go in for an interview. JR says Vince is an egomaniac as Razor goes to the armbar. He says there's no reason for him to have been fired. Gorilla keeps pushing his buttons. It's all Razor. His doc, doc says Diesel's locker room is empty. After a break, Razor has a modified camel clutch, and JR is still defensive. He says everyone's overreacting. He says he didn't bring Doink in under his watch and asked Gorilla if he was proud to have clowns wrestling and that he knows he hated it just as much as Ross did at the time. The crowd's getting bored as Diesel shows up and attacks Vega for the DQ. Gorilla yells at Kevin for calling them Razor and Diesel. He says, that's the names. I don't know what else to do, Mr. Monsoon. Razor and Diesel lay out Vega. And that's that. Uh, A complete mess. The match is boring. No heat. Razor was fine, but the the guy just has no chance to succeed. They're they're just giving him zero chance. All the focus and anger is on JR. So either just make him the manager, make him the agent. We talked about last week. Make him try and get Gorilla's job. Get him off a of commentary. Pull him out. Like, is the heat on him? Is it on them? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's all confusing. Uh, JR has valid points as a heel. Yeah. But it doesn't resonate with what's going on in the ring. So I went to start in three quarters. It's like, whatever. <laughs> oh, but wow. I know. It's high. It's probably too much. <laughs> but, like, I feel like they worked a okay match. It was bad. boring. Mm. Star for me. I, this, I don't know what to say about this. Like, I mean... God, I'm so flabbergasted just even trying to talk about it. Because Gorilla and JR going at each other is so mm-hmm. vigorous and it is entertaining to hear. But right. also at points is uncomfortable. It's like 
I don't know. It's it's just like a, this. It's almost like Jerry Springer, like shock type TV. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's 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 unique, but it's not resonating either. It's one of those weird things where it's entertaining, but it's also distracting. It's it's a very overall just bizarre, bizarre thing that's going on. On top of that, having Bogner in ring doesn't help. I don't right, think right. he's very good at all. Yeah, so, that, you know, uh, him versus, you know, like Razor's big buddy. Is that, you know, you get why they did that. But match itself sucks. A lot, a lot of work in the arm. Mixing in some of Razor's uh, more uh, signature spots when it's appropriate. But overall, just kind of a... Uh, a completely strange match. Also thought Doc uh, looked like a dummy. <laughs> so like he's, you know, like he acts like he's got this big scoop. Right. He's in like, the, oh, where do you think lo- he is? Yeah. In the locker room. And he's like, I just saw Diesel with my own two eyes. And I'm going in there, guys. It's like, well, we've already seen Diesel, Doc. Right. Like we know he's fake too. So who cares what he has to say? But then when he opens the door, Gil's in. It turns out he's not even in there. So, I mean, where did he go? Like, like I mean, <laughs> Diesel's the black scorpion now and can do magic tricks and just disappear. Because like Doc said, he just saw Diesel go in there. So... I don't know what Doc was doing, but he got distracted and misses it. Uh, the uh, I, I mean, I will say this: like at one point, the crowd was chanting something. What was that? I I couldn't make it out. Like I don't fraud or something. I don't know. No, a loud, know. very loud chant, but couldn't make it out. That was the only time they were hot for the whole match. <laughs> I mean, they were hot for that. Uh, when Diesel comes out. It at least is, uh, you can't tell, like, that it's Isaac Yankum. Right. You know, so there is that. But, um, I don't know. Razor's Edge and Powerbomb was fine. It's a a mess. It's a mess. It is. Yeah. You can tell they they didn't really have an end game, I don't think. Well, the end game should have been, Jared just did it to him. If you want to go this route, just have JR say he did it to embarrass everyone. They're not going to really stay as Razor and Diesel. It was just a joke. And they're really these guys and blah, blah, blah. Right. And give them real names. Then say, I did this to prove that Gorilla Monsoon is incompetent in his role. He had no idea. I did this under his nose. Everyone was confused and he's worthless. I should be president. And he keeps taking shots at Vince and tries to get a sh- like, at least that's something, you know what I mean? And like, he did it as a, as a ruse. But he's not going to make these guys be saddled with these stupid gimmicks. Keep him as a heel? If you're going to go this route, yeah. Like, why not then? Just have him. I know. I mean, have him be president. Have him be a heel president. I think he's uh, fine. You know, if you want. If you want to go that route and try it. You know, and then even if it only lasts six months, whatever. Yeah. You know, then something happens and he gets pulled out of the role. I mean, I guess Kevin Kelly's proven he's good enough to probably get a shot as main person on play by play. Well, they're done anyway. Vince is coming back. We'll see. Vince is back anyway soon. So, like, oh god. A, yeah, this is not. This is only this taping. Sorry, but uh, and Jr. is just doing superstars and in color on pay per view. So it's not like Kevin, you know, it's not like Jr. is doing main role. Like he could, he could be president and be fine and just not just have Kevin do superstars. You know. So I don't a know. mess. It's a mess. Undertaker's in the cemetery, gives his warnings, pretty much the same as mankind. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. We kind of, 
don't know. I don't want to say like cheap mail to the pay per view, but it's like, yeah, they're mailing it in a bit. They're just yeah, they're like, living like, off the past. Like yeah. we really ain't got much much juice between. I mean, at least before with the boiler room, they did right. that like long brawl that interrupted a match and whatever, and added a little vigor to the match itself. This is literally them in the cemetery digging the plot for the other person. It's like okay. All right, time for our main event. It is Shawn Michaels and Jose Supersock Lothario <laughs> taking on Vader and Jim Cornette. This feud's still going. Shawn Michaels versus Cam Cornette has been going since, what, November when Owen laid him out pretty much? Yeah, I'd say at least since the uh, concussion kick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, just going on and on. Uh, Vader and is looking to stay relevant in the title picture. He's got another chance to pick up a key win. We get highlights of Mark Merrow winning the IC title a week ago. Kevin says, Farouk will challenge Mark Merrow in your house. And him and Sonny have had an amicable parting of the ways. So they're done now after his loss yeah. last week. Probably good, I guess, because maybe it's a sign that we're shifting gears with Farouk finally uh, with this stupid gimmick. Kevin and Jared put over Sean's hectic schedule as he heads out, including <laughs> appearing at New York City Macy's for Rock the Vote. Jose has oh. his tights on for this big match here. Uh, Kevin tells JR, just call Livewire if you've got questions <laughs> like about to Vince, you know. Uh, JR keeps mocking Vince. Sean and Vader start off. Vader levels them with a body block. JR plugs superstars. He said, if you want to hear me do play-by-play, it's a job everyone wants. They can learn how to call holes by checking it out. Vader keeps battering Sean, deadlifting him off the mat into an overhead throw. Vader loads up a powerbomb, but Sean flips it to Hurricanrana, heats up into a flurry. Sean leaps off the top into Vader, unloads, but he charges wildly. Vader drops down and he flies to the floor. Vader gets back to work, bullying Sean and peppering with punches. JR goes in on Cornette now. He's been vicious all night. Cornette tags and practices sparring with Vader, which allows Jose to tag, unloads punches on Cornette, who goes to the eyes, tags Vader. King's kind of getting horny about all this. Vader grabs <laughs> Jose and shoots him to the ropes, but Jose just stops and tags, which is funny. Sean comes in hot and nice through Vader, but Vader dodges switch in music. Deck Sean to the clothesline for two. During a break, we get the PlayStation Slam of the Week, which is Sid just destroying the new Rockers with a choke slam and Powerball on Superstars last week. After the break, Vader sets up the bo- uh, Vader bomb. He goes up top for a moonsault, comes back down, tries the Vader bomb, but he ends up eating knees. Sean heats back up and actually slams Vader to a pop. Sean loads up Sweet Chin Music. Cornette ties him up. Sean tries another slam, but he collapses under Vader, and Vader crunches him with the Powerbomb and finishes clean with a Vader bomb. So Vader gets yet another clean win over Sean in a non-title match. Uh, then hits another Vader bomb after the bell. Sid saves. Goldust comes out. We get a big brawl to wrap this up. Uh, fine stuff. Again, it feels a little low energy or paint by numbers. Crazy that Vader beat Sean again. He completely has owned him. Even at SummerSlam, he beat him twice, really. Uh, I guess setting him up for a title shot. You, you assume at this point he's probably going to go over Sid and then be the contender to Sean after that. Uh, Jose and Cornette didn't do much, but Cornette was the reader, reason Vader avoided sweet music, so there's that. Uh, I thought the finishing stretch was fine. I went two and a half on the match. I thought it was interesting that Goldust comes out here, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know Sean and Goldust fight on the dark match at Buried Alive, so yeah. I wonder if they were originally planning to run that on the show and then decided not to. I'm not sure. They haven't mentioned it at all, but it's interesting uh, for sure. Although, I will say we know uh, Sid and Goldust will face next week, uh, so maybe it was just to set that up. I don't know. But anyway, two and yeah, a half. I, yeah, I like this match, actually. I went two and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought this was some of the better Vader's looked, period. 
since they came in. Uh, yeah. Sean, Sean doing the Rock the Vote in Macy's, kind of a weird location for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince's picture, as you mentioned, raw shit on that. He said mm-hmm. it looked like his America's Most Wanted poster. <laughs> so it's like, well, um, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Vader used his strength well, punked Sean down. I thought Sean used his speed uh, really well throughout this match. Like he was bumping like crazy. Uh, his speed looked good. His punches looked good. Vader looked like a monster. Jose and Cornette stayed out of the way, which mm-hmm. was good. Like they already, you know, they had their two minute match that kind of blew off their feud. So we don't really need much more of them. So they're kind of just add ons for this match, and that's fine. Only part, a couple parts I didn't like. One was, uh, one point Vader gets a hold of Jose, but like kind of allows him to make the tag to Sean, right. which kind of made Vader look dumb. He wasn't very aggressive. He sort of just like held on to Jose for a while. Uh, but then the finishing run I thought was really strong too, where the Vader bomb, where Sean gets his knees up, some more back and forth, and then Vader hits the power bomb and a Vader bomb for the win. And then I like the uh, the ending brawl quite a bit with Sid coming out and Goldust coming out, and then. He had kind of Goldust and Vader surrounding Sid, and then finally Sean came in. So it, it felt like shockingly a hot ending mm-hmm. uh, for one match that we won't see on the pay-per-view, and one match we will, but I wasn't that excited for. But, you know, it added some juice to the pay-per-view, actually, too, for underneath the main event. And, yeah, I, I could see that they might have thought they were going with they, uh, Sean versus Goldust at that pay-per-view. It does feel like Vader will beat Sid. That Vader versus Sid, and um, hopefully, I don't know if Vader wrestles anymore on this taping. But right. Vader versus Sid at Buried Alive, right now, feels like a very strong, like number one contenders match. There's right. usually not a ton of those, actually. I think it does become in. one. I, th- I think it does. Okay. I'm pretty sure they eventually end up saying the winner gets a title shot. Yeah, I think they may have already said that, okay. actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, in the history of wrestling, a lot of times when they have that stipulation, right, you know right. who's going to win. Yes, yes. Right now, I feel like it's pretty up in the air. So I, I, I think, think at the time, job there. at the time, I would say I definitely thought Vader was winning. Like, it, it just didn't seem realistic. It feels like it. I gone. mean, it feels like it, but Sid's look strong, too. So I think that's... Uh, them making Vader look strong here is a positive yep. in me thinking that that matches now a coin flip. So they've done a good job there. So I'll give them that. All right. So kind of a, a quick raw, honestly, not a lot yeah, of downtime. In there. I mean, not a lot of downtime. Yeah. All right. Uh, match of the night. I'm with Austin and Jake. I went with the main event, actually. Uh, for the best moment, I mean, there really wasn't much here. I went with the real Double J thing. I, I don't know. There was not much else going on moment-wise. We just kind of chugged through matches tonight. It was kind of different, different role. Yeah, kind of defaulted to the final standoff just because I like the mm-hmm. intrigue of uh, Sid and Vader going after it. Uh, MVP, I went with JR. I mean, he kind of... It was annoying at times, but I think he had a lot of good points. He's really bought into this. It's a lot of anger coming out. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's real, I think. So, I mean, he was kind of the bellwether of the show. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of a driving force on the show. He's all over the place. Um, I mean, I, I go with Vader. I've been asking for him to look strong. He finally looked strong, so I'm going to reward that by giving him the MVP. Any commentary lines I didn't mention? Yep. We have uh, Lawler says he gets hit in the back of the head with toilet seats all the time. Talking <laughs> about Jake. Uh, Lawler also asked if you get divorced in Arkansas, are you still cousins? Uh, talking about the Godwins, he asked that to Hunter. Uh, Gorilla, <laughs> you mentioned this one about the certainly doesn't look like you missed too many meals towards Jim Ross. Uh, and then Jim Ross at one point says Vince McMahon is an egomaniac. I thought that was appropriate and uh, still true in uh, 2022. So there you go. All right, shots fired. Just kind of the all the Hall and Nash talk. I guess from Gorilla. Yeah, I mean they do. They definitely doubled down and saying like nobody said it was Hall right. and Nash. Like they're right. very, you know, Strong. we didn't say that. Yeah, we did not say that, guys. But yeah, we also we didn't mention the shots fighter Nitro. Uh, I just had that Hall saying Sting is the best imposter in wrestling, which was good. So oh yeah, I didn't notice that, but yeah, that's a good one. Uh, debuts. I don't have uh, anyone here. Debuting. Green twins. Oh God, good catch. And then uh, final grade, uh, is it okay? Raw it was, you know, a little below average to me, but we didn't have a lot of bullshit. I think maybe they found a little formula for these taped ones, just like kind of chug through matches and do your work on the commentary table. That's probably dubbed in instead of dragging it down with other stuff. So I went four and a half out of 10. It was fine. Five out of 10 for me. I actually uh, have a raw higher than you. No, I mean, I thought this was a good, yeah, baseline level raw. The stuff with Jim Ross just really messes with your mind, though. Because right. like I did hate that segment, and like it's it's also one where I can't decide whether I'd be more angry in the moment because I know mm-hmm. I was annoyed as a kid too. But it's like, well, it sucked in the moment, and now it sucks in retrospect where I know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's like all around. It's just it's right. just a weird, weird little sequence of events. All right, let's get to our combo awards. Uh, best show is Nitro, based on our grade. Yep. What's our best match? Thank God, uh, be Alex Wright versus Dino Machino. Right, interesting. Yeah. Uh, best segment, we were kind of all over the place. I'm fine going to the Bischoff promo if you want. I don't. Yeah, matter. I don't think we really had a great segment right. on either of these shows. Uh, commentary going Nitro. Yeah, I thought. No, again, I think we're always sneaky good. Raw, uh, Raw's good. It's just it's just weird again with Raw because Ross is so domineering. Like at one point when Gorilla's out there, he's actually pandering to King right. to talk about like how delusional Ross is. It's like right. where and are we King's at? all in on it. Yeah, he's all yeah, yeah. Too. And like now King is talking about yeah. I mean King's kind of de facto babyface in that regard. It's weird. All right, uh, star of the night. Star's tough. I I I would lean. I don't know. You feel strongly about anybody? I mean, I, I not on the WF side. I, I mean, I had Ross, but whatever. I would say I thought Hogan stood out on Nitro the most. We can go with Hogan. Fine with that. Uh, and then Nitro obviously won the ratings. Yeah, the ratings. Uh, you know, I will say, like, we're all kind of had a little bit of a bounce back, though. So Nitro was a 3.4 last week, 3.3 this week. Mm-hmm. Negligible difference. Raw, 2.0 last week, 2.3. Okay. So, 
little bounce. Only a one-point spread between the two. Which, you do know, you think the NWO normal. Nitro thing turned off some people? I do think those concept Nitros were a little interesting. I don't think they really turned off anybody, though, because you don't see, like, any dip uh, on Nitros in. I mean, I don't know if, raw, if Razor and Diesel, quote-unquote, right, right. helped Raw or it's just... But no, this was, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is in line to where they've been. Like the 9-9 Raw got a 2.4. Right. So they, I mean, I think just the prior two weeks were just like the low of the low. Right. And last week coming off of a pay-per-view, you expect a little bit of a bounce and it being a 2. That was a really bad number. I mean, that, that Raw that got a uh, 2.4, that was the one with Salvatore and <laughs> Stalker. I mean, that was a terrible show. So. All right, so next week we're back at it uh, with another Nitro and Raw. Uh, and then we'll be uh, closing in soon on Buried Alive. We've got two more episodes to cover of TV before we get there. But uh, that's about it. So until next time, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Smell that napalm. He's the hairy-handed gent Who ran amok in Kent Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair You better stay away from him He'll rip your lungs out, Jim I'd like to meet his tailor Salon Cheney walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw Lon Cheney Jr. walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's